Welcome back to another McKnight's Market Leader Podcast. I'm Jim Berklin, Executive Editor at McKnight's, and I'm here with Phil Fogg, Jr., the Board Chairman of the American Healthcare Association and National Center for Assisted Living, as well as the President and CEO of Marquee Companies and Consanus Healthcare. Well, Phil, as a fourth-generation leader in the field, I know you've seen a lot. So what's been keeping you awake at night lately? Well, Jim, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate that. I think that, unfortunately, there's a lot of things to keep not only me, but but providers awake at night. Primarily, I would say today, most people would say workforce. The lack of workforce supply is then causing a census decline that we, we're having a hard time recovering from, and that's affecting our economics. So uh, that's probably the first bucket that keeps me up at night. Uh, the, the second bucket is just with the current administration and CMS leadership, it would be regulatory additions, requirements, and especially any regulatory changes or, or initiatives that would be unfunded. And then the third bucket would be that the massive inflation that we've seen across our entire economy and the world, but specific to our profession and the ability for our payer sources, Medicaid, Medicare, Medicare Advantage plans to be able to catch up with our increases in cost. That's a major worry. And I I just would say, lastly, that COVID has had a, a lot of impact to our profession, and I'm mostly concerned about any degradation in quality. We were making real strides, real improvements in quality pre-pandemic, and I, I'm concerned that, that the workforce challenges and leadership transitions could have an impact on quality that we need to recover from and, and recoup as soon as possible. So there's, there's a lot there to unpack, a lot of things to keep you that is a heck of a foursome. There's no doubt about that. Let's peel back yeah. some of the layers a little bit, if you don't mind. Now, as chair of ACA and NCAL, what are some of the current initiatives and priorities of the association? And maybe what do you look back at uh, during your first year as top accomplishments? Sure. Well, first of all, uh, the, the priorities right now kind of go along with what keeps us up at night. So I, I would say that anything related to workforce development or easing workforce challenges for providers are our top priorities. Uh, the temporary nursing assistant roles, we want to be able to extend the, that rule, that temporary rule. Uh, what we've gotten uh, from CMS is a waiver that enables the states to grant waivers. We're seeing those waivers getting approved in, in most states. So that that's a big asset. I personally believe that immigration, any immigration initiatives specifically to open up the number of visas, whether they're temporary or permanent work visas that can be processed and approved for healthcare professionals, would be the second thing that's a real priority for us. And we've been working with a coalition of healthcare providers to be able to do that. And then I would say there's other programs that I would highlight, just being able to promote a trade school initiative within our public high schools to be able to get people into a healthcare trade school kind of tracked that would enable them to go from CNA to LPN. And if they wanted to post-graduation move into uh, RN would be something that I would that I'd get excited about. You know, on the regulatory side, uh, it's a priority of ours just to not enable any unfunded mandates to get passed. I think that on top of most people's minds, the minimum staffing 
rural, uh, you know, we as a profession are not opposed to increased staffing requirements. We just want to make sure that the funding goes along with it. And then lastly, on the priority side is, again, elevating Medicaid payments, Medicare payments, and Medicare Advantage payments. There's a number of strategies that we're deploying to enable states to do that. So we've got a full plate of things. And in fact, we're going into our annual strategic board planning retreat next week. So uh, we'll be focused on this and prioritizing what the strategies are that our ACA team and uh, we'll be focused on. All right. Outstanding. Definitely great to look forward to 2023, but also we'd be remiss if we didn't look at the, the year back. Now, there have been some successes, haven't there? I, I think there are a number of things you can take pride about. Yeah, I think, you know, the two big ones would be that we were able to get uh, CMS to phase in the parity adjustment related to the PDPM transition. That took us from a scenario where we could have seen a cut in this year's proposed rule to a 2.7% increase for the providers. And so that phase in was a real positive win for us. And then and then we finally got CMS and CDC to change uh, most of the COVID protocols um, that were making it very difficult to recruit or retain staff in facilities. We still have a little bit of ways to go with them on some reporting requirements and family notification requirements that are probably not appropriate in this current phase of the pandemic. But those victories were nice, and I, and I know that they were appreciated by the providers. Now, you mentioned CMS, and I'm curious as well about CMS's and CDC's recent guidance updates. Are, are there going to be enough to ease the workforce challenges, do you think? Yeah, I, they're impactful. I, I think until the day that the world goes back to normal, and you don't have mass testing completely goes away. I, we're going to still be in an environment that is going to have more challenges than most other work environments, whether they're healthcare or not. So depending on the roles and positions within a facility, it certainly has been a big help. But until we go fully back to normal, uh, there, there are going to continue to be a few challenges. Right, right. Now, let's drill down, if we can, uh, talking about strategies to help combat some of these workforce problems. You know, as you have quite a reach with Marquis and Consanus at the provider level, um, are there any recommendations you can give to your peers out there that you guys have found especially effective? Well, let's, at the beginning of this, let's just say we're dealing with a a workforce supply challenge that we've got millions of people that just aren't participating in the workforce today. And so I don't think any of any profession or economy is going to really see this recovery and really see things go back to normal until we get the workforce participation back to pre-pandemic levels. And that that needs to be an important distinction because ACA is prepared. We're, we're developing uh, campaigns to go nationwide to try to encourage people into long-term care and post-acute care. But it's a little challenging for us to want to deploy the strategies until we know that there's enough people participating in the workforce to be able to, to think that we've made an in, a, a effective investment. Having said that, I think Every provider has to do everything right in this area. They need to put the resources into the recruitment side and be as effective as they can in the in an online recruiting 
world and make the experience of recruitment and hiring as positive as possible. And I think for us, the realization that we got to focus as much energy and effort on the back door as the front door. So we've got to be able to reduce the turnover to every extent possible. I think that's my only big picture advice for people. Okay, very good. I didn't know if there was something that you'd found, you know, effective in certain areas or certain size facilities or certain geographies. You, you've heard of all sorts of strategies about bonuses or incentives, uh, you know, anything like that. Do you have any insight on that that maybe you guys have had success with? Yeah. You know, it's very market specific um, what, what people will do. I know daily pay. Uh, programs has been very effective. But, you know, I, I still believe that on the retention side, it goes back to great leaders and leadership and building an environment where uh, we remind people of the meaning and purpose of the work that we do, because that's our real advantage over fast food chains or other environments is what we do makes a difference in people's lives. And we need to, re- you know, keep that front and center with our, with our staff and, and help them understand and, and believe and take value in that. I think that's something definitely pre-pandemic, during pandemic, post-pandemic, that that right. is what the field needs to emphasize because that's a winning strategy. Now, we've talked about uh, some of the, the activism efforts and in, in the association how would you suggest people get involved in regulatory reform efforts, either in local communities or state or even national levels? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and I the, I don't know if the listeners will know this, but we're we're the morning after the election day, and uh, I think that the elections will you know change our world a bit. But separate of what parties and what office are in control or not in control. The most effective thing that we can have today is to have our members bring the politicians from the Hill or even from their states into their facilities. We have got to educate uh, the Hill members to what our challenges are. And I say that because, look, we have American Healthcare a voice on the Hill. And that's it. We don't have a lot of other people helping us in our cause. And that means that we've got to be our own voice. And the most effective voices in district, in the facilities, helping them understand the workforce challenges that we've had, the inflation that we've had, and and how they can help us and how regulatory requirements that are unfunded are going to be dangerous to us and potentially fail. Very good. Very good. Now, uh, it isn't all doom and gloom. Uh, ironically, the pandemic has created some opportunities, or shall we say it's revealed some strong points or some some advancements, should we say. Where do you see as possible exciting opportunities in the future for long-term care? And maybe what innovative trends uh, has the pandemic brought forth uh, that are really noteworthy that we better remember? Yeah. I, I mean, first of all, I, I have a real optimism about the future. And again, I, I said that it's at the convention in Nashville, but it, it's not a blind optimism where I'm ignoring the fact that our profession doesn't have challenges left because we certainly do, but it's an optimism that the future is going to be better because I fully believe it is. I think 10 years from now or 20 years from now, we'll look back at this and, you know, we'll see it as, as a very challenging time. I think we'll be very proud as a profession for how we got through this and how we managed it, the choices that we made. 
Um, but it's going to be a blip in time where where it stopped progress and Addis had to focus everything on just protecting the people we serve. Now, having said that, the good parts were there were some technology growth areas like uh, telemedicine uh, that I think will continue um, into the future and create more efficient ways for us to have physicians and other practitioners treat people within our facilities. And I think it'll become especially relevant in rural communities where they may have a supply shortage of those clinicians and you may be able to get the services more effective. I think that you'll see technologies like remote patient monitoring and the ability to capture vitals real time um, and more effectively in facilities and or on post-acute discharges or people that are being served in a community care environment to be able to have clinical staff members react to changes in condition more quickly. I think that some of the workflows and how we do things have been improved out of necessity. How we manage and lead will be better because of these staffing shortages. And so I think there will be a lot of positives that come out of this for us. And I think some of it you've keyed on in your pre-pandemic activities too, though. Hasn't it pushed to the fore that, you know, quality is going to be that much more important and you're going to want to group together, team up, if you will, with other quality providers and stakeholders in the chain, be it through an iSNP or other alternative payment matters uh, and and risk vehicles like that. Uh, hasn't that yeah. become even more important? Yeah, I think that the ability to to take responsibility and accountability for the management of the entire care of the population of people that we serve and owning that ourselves, either through relationships or through our, our organizations, is going to be critical in the, in the future. Because if we don't do it, if we don't bring in the I-SNPs and C-SNPs and D-SNPs and bring in our own physicians and NPs and advanced practice clinicians, um, other people are going to do it. And I, I'm more comfortable with us making those choices and affecting those care models um, and bringing in the technologies that get the results and affect the triple aim goals and truly create a better life for the people we serve. But if, again, I, I just, the, one of my messages is, look, if, if you don't have the scale to do it, partner up, but definitely become a part of a network that is going to make choices to provide services in the way that you want them made. Because if we don't, other people are going to tell us how to do it. Outstanding observations on that. Now, we want you to grab your crystal ball, if you will. Uh, what are your visions for a great second year as board chair at ACA? And, Kalen, what do you want to happen? What do you foresee happening? Well, I think it's, it's affecting those strategies. But it's, one, supporting our profession through recovery. And that, again, means helping them with workforce Seeing those workforce trends start to come back, helping increase the supply of workforce through immigration and other strategies will be the will be a win. Stopping unfunded regulatory mandates will be a win that we that we will be very proud of. And then supporting the states on the Medicaid side to elevate their Medicaid payments to meet their their allowable direct costs. Uh, getting Medicare to increase the inflation factor for the providers to cover the cost for Medicare clients and affecting strategies like provider networks in states that and elevate their ability to negotiate on payments and value-based payments with payers. Um, those are 
the things that I would walk away next year and go, we've, we've really made a difference. We've really have helped this profession recover and to be able to be in a spot where they can elevate the quality of care in the future. Well, there you have it, folks. If history is any indicator, some of those things are definitely going to happen under Phil Fogg's leadership. We've been talking with Phil Fogg, the board chairman of the American Healthcare Association and National Center for Assisted Living, as well as the president and CEO of Marquee Companies and Consanus Healthcare. Hold on to your hats, folks. It's going to be an interesting year ahead. Thank you for tuning in. This is Jim Berkland wishing you good health and outstanding days ahead.